It was interesting when um, Sam was talking before about some of those core values and, and allowing God to take you out of your comfort zone. And uh, who likes who likes being taken out of their comfort zone? <laughs> I thought you'd have buckets of hands up, you know. But it, it can be a good thing because that's when we rely on God. But it can also be a really hard thing, don't we? Because we don't feel at, we don't feel in control, and we're not sure whether we're going to say the right thing and so forth. And um, you know, I I want to encourage you that in in the in touch. There is a couple in our prayer area uh, for praying and um, for, and uh, that is Andrew and Veronica Smith. And I, I get really out of my comfort zone when I need to go and visit certain people. And, and Andrew has a brain tumour. And in fact, I think he has a couple now and as it's developed and I went and visited them during the week and uh, was able to spend some time with them and uh, want to go and do the same this week as I'll go out and visit because Andrew's at home now and, um, and the, the chemotherapy that he's had so far has not worked. And so, but um, I, I want you to pray with me uh, for Andrew and Veronica for their relationship with God. And um, yes, we can pray for his healing and, and, and all sorts of other things. But the most important thing I want you to pray for this week is, is their relationship with God. And uh, because in many ways that's so much more important than what's happening in our body, even though what's happening in our body is a, you know, it's a thing that's very close to us. They have three young children, their oldest one, uh, Jason is up at the snow this weekend with our other young people and so please uh, I want you to commit them to the Lord. Let me, uh, let me read this to you before we go on with our other um, uh, readings. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and the next few verses. Let me just read it to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I can't help but think uh, as I read James that these verses are rattling over in his head as he was writing to the, uh, the Jewish Christians that were scattered uh, around uh, Asia. He says, write them on your hearts. Get them into you. Let them be a part of you. Let them be the pendulum that drives you, that keeps you on track, that times you. Let them be that rudder that guides you through life. Get them in and allow them to affect you. You know, the scriptures say that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and it gets right through the skin and the bone, the marrow. Where does it get to? It gets to the heart. It gets to the heart. It should be what drives us. And when it gets to the heart, it should be the very thing that makes us soft. 
It should be the thing that makes us desire to do what it says. Not hard, not pushing it away, not being the person we want to be. Did I scare that baby? I do a lot of that, don't I, darling? I do, I do a lot of that. I'm so sorry. But it's that thing that drives us, that softens us, that calms us, that recreates us from the heart. And he says, you know, to talk about it as you're walking along, to impress it on your children. It should be the thing that is the focus in our life. That driving force. And here's James calling all these people to get back to the Word of God. Get back to the Word of God. Now, James we got that on? Oh, there we go. Thank you. I, I actually didn't re- remember until this morning, didn't realise until this morning that I haven't put some of the transitions in and so you're going to get one slide at a time rather than the way that I wanted it, but that's okay. You know, um, James uh, chapter 1 verses 19 to 27, as it was uh, read to us this morning, is very much in two parts. The first part in 19 to 21, is, is properly receiving the word. How do we receive it? But then part 2, 22 to 27, is very much about our reaction to the word. How do we react when we hear the word of God? Is the heart soft and ready to receive the things that he wants to say to us? Or are we set in our ways? Have we heard enough and we're set in our ways and just don't give me any more because I'm right. <clears throat> the third test of the true believer. Now remember Josh did a great job in sharing with us last Sunday. Now the first test was the response to trials he shared with us in 1, 2 to 12 and then the second part The second uh, test was our response to temptation and we know about those sort of things. But the third is our response to the truth revealed in the word of God and that comes in 19 to 27. So here's this test of a true believer. How do we respond to the truth that is revealed in God's word? Are we happy for that sword to divide and reveal what's in our heart? Are we happy for that sword to reveal the real person and then to be happy to be altered by God's spirit to become the person that he wants us to be? Or do we just want to be who we are, content with who we are and everyone else can just lump it? You know, part one, this 19 to 21, properly receiving the word. Psalm chapter 119 has some beautiful verses in it, but there's three that I want to read you this morning. 1, 10 and 14. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart, Do not let me stray from your commands. 
And then 14 says, I rejoice in, the fo- in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Does that reflect you? Does that reflect you that the, you desire God's sword of the spirit to, to cut us open with his word to, to reveal the true self and you enjoy the fact that he drives you recreating you, changing you into the person that he wants you to be and making us more like his son. Properly receiving the word. Verse 19 in the second part says, everyone should be quick to listen. You know, in every field of knowledge, you go, let's say you go to university and you go and you sit in class I'm not sure what it was like, I was never there, but from others they've told me, you know. But what do you do? What do you do? You get into class and you start talking, don't you? Yeah, 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 yes, Carl. <laughs> you don't. The very reason you go is to listen. Is that right, Rob Baines? Should be, that's right. You know, we go and we listen and why do we do that? Because there are other people who have studied and they're imparting knowledge to us. And if we desire to learn, we shut up and we listen. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119.11. How do we do that? When we hide the word in our heart, we either listen in church, we listen in, uh, to, to tapes, we read the scriptures and we place it within us. We don't jibber-jabber through it. We've listened and we've hidden and we've drawn it into ourselves. We must be slow to become angry. You know, this flows through beautifully. This word, all gay. It's not the explosive anger that happens at various times but rather it's it's the deep resentment that often sits and it seethes and it smoulders. It's an interesting thing, interesting word that he particularly uses here and he uses it for a reason. You know, James is referring here to the anger that God's, the truth of God's word often reveals in us. Have you ever come across people, and, and I have, and it's, it's been an uncomfortable experience, is that when you speak to a person and we've had occasion to do it, and it's re- to reveal something within a person that is not right and doesn't sit right with a Christian, and you desire the response of, oh God, it's something that I didn't know and, and, and I'm, I thank you for telling me because God's spirit wants us all to, to change and to become more like his son and I, I want to thank you for letting me know that and, and I'm going to pray about that. And I've had people say exactly that thing to me, exactly that thing. I'm going to go and pray about that and I'm going to ask God's spirit to work with me in that. But I've also had people who have responded in almost a violent way. 
that they have been so angry because I've spoken to them about something that was not right in their life. That there was something that was sitting within them that just seemed to be ready to explode. What sort of a person do you think you or I would be if someone came to us today and said, you know, Tony, (coughs) there's just something I, I need to talk to you about that's something I've observed in your life. Or one of you come to me and say, Garth, you know, I've just been seeing certain things in your life that I'm not sure are quite right and I just want to talk to you about it because that's it's what the Bible says that we should be doing, that we should be spurring one, and on, one another on to greater things, to purer things, to becoming more like his son. If someone came to us today, whether we're young or older, what would be our response? What would be our response? And yet it's the right thing to do. We know that, don't we? Is our heart ready to receive or have we already made it? They're challenging things, aren't they? They're challenging things and yet they're right things. We must be slow to become angry. You know, Galatians 4.16 says... Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Where Paul had this great relationship with the the Galatians, but when he had to challenge them on a certain issue, he had to say to them, well, hang on. Look at the relationship we had before, but now by me saying something to you and challenging you, have I now become your enemy? Has, Has this challenge now changed our relationship? I know people in the past who've left a church because they've been challenged. And you know, they went to another church and they never changed. They stayed the same people. And fellowship was lost. When we are challenged by the word of God, we can do one of two things. We can either submit to it and allow the Holy Spirit to work within us Some things don't change overnight. When we love the law of the Lord, when we love God, when we love the word of God, that doesn't mean that we live perfect lives. When we look back at the prophets in the Old Testament, you know, even even Elijah, what does the scripture say about him? He was a man of like passions, just as we. He had the same faults, the same failures. But what was the difference of people, of these wonderful people of faith? Was the fact that they loved God and they loved his word and they worked at living his word out in their daily lives. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we fail. It doesn't mean we trip. But it does mean we're trying and we're working at it. It's like that little child, as a parent sees that little child, the first times of trying to walk. It's great that babies wear nappies, you know, because as they walk and they, and they trip and they tumble and they drop down, does, does the parent get angry then? Not at all. The parent loves them and laughs with them and encourages them on. But what's the baby trying to do? Trying to do what is right. But when the child 
says, no, I will not. Remember that word, no? Can you, how many parents can hear their child as a little one saying, no? Well, that's when the parent gets a little bit exasperated and doesn't laugh, do they? They might laugh inside, <laughs> as you've seen it all before, but no, there's a big difference, isn't there, of tripping as we try to do the right thing against having a heart that is set on doing the wrong thing. <coughs> James 21, sorry, 121, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent in our lives. You know, this, this moral decay started when, when, right at the garden you know, before there, there, there was no issues with the thinking of the mind, the doing of the hands, the heart issues. But it came in with a vengeance at the garden. And you know, right from then, the world was no different to what it is now. You know, we look at the world now and we think, oh, jingoes, what would our parents think? It was not like this. Well, yes, it was. It may have been a little bit different. You know, we see things happening on our, our telly and some of the protests that are happening at the moment and for a Christian it's just dismay, isn't it? It really is, it's just dismay and uh, the, the rebellion of, of man's heart. And, but it's never been any different. And back when James was writing, it was just like now. But we've got to put those things aside and what's one of the best things to put aside those things? Getting rid of the moral filth and evil is a direct result of receiving the word of God because as we flush ourselves out with that which is pure, what's got rid of? The impure. And this is what he's encouraging. Get into the word of God. Don't just be listeners or hearers but doers. Take on the things that Jesus is saying through his word to us and allow that to cleanse us, to flush us out in getting rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. It's the word of God. It's not me just trying. Garth is so weak. I really am. And I'm probably just like you. That we can't just do it on our own no matter how much we try. What did Paul say? Oh, the things that I want to do, I can't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Is that you and me? Of course it is. But as we allow that pure word of God to flush us and wash us, it brings us back to himself all the time. You know, this interesting word, this, this word that, that James used here, he could have used a number of words apparently, but this uh, word for filth is riparia. Now, it's closely, return, closely sorry, related to the term used for the wax in the ears. And I'm sure that one of the reasons, because his theme is the hearing and doing, it impairs the hearing, especially appropriate in this context of the word of God. So if you allow ourselves to be a part of that world, it impairs the word of God getting through to us. So he encourages us to get rid of that, to step aside from it and get into the word of God. Sorry. No. 
<clears throat> Therefore, sorry, when we come in confession, we remove any vestige of evil that may hinder the receiving of God. You know, it's that coming in confession. How do we come in confession? How do you come in confession? It's the humility. It's not arrogance. When you come in arrogance before God, there's no, there's no confession. It's the coming that understanding that I am a sinful person and I can do no good on my own. And we come in confession and we bring before God the things that are not right in our life and we ask him to wash over us by his Holy Spirit. That's how we come in confession and we receive that word. You know, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. Accepting the word of God as to do us good and being open to it changing our lives for the better. Is that the way that we look at the word of God? That as we read it or do we just quickly read it and then just move on? Or do we see it as something that is there to do us good, to develop us, to change us, to mould us and to turn our lives for the better? Humility includes that very important quality of teachableness which goes along with hearing and understanding. Are we teachable? The faithful Christian is to receive the word implanted with a submissive gentle and teachable spirit, cleansed of pride, resentment, anger and every form of moral corruption, John MacArthur says in his commentary. Is that us today? Is it us? I know it would be lovely. You know, you imagine if someone wrote that of us. Could you imagine if someone put that as an epitaph to us? Would that be the best thing that they could write? that we were submissive, gentle, we had teachable spirits, we were cleansed of pride or resentment and anger and every form of moral corruption because of the word of God. I can't think of anything better and yet that is what James was calling us to. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can just, you almost hear him saying it. Don't just listen to it, do what it says. Don't you remember right throughout the Old Testament God was saying to his people, don't just have those laws there, get them into your heart, live them out. Let my spirit control you. Let my spirit recreate you into my people, my nation. When you go in to take the land, don't just go in your own strength but allow my spirit to go with you that I can conquer the people that you can't. In the same way now, don't just get out into the world thinking you can do it in your own strength. Here's my word, here's my spirit. Take me and allow me to recreate you. Do it in my strength. Do it in my strength. 
that I can make you the people that I want. What does the word say? It says, do not merely listen to the word and so you deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Well, what does the word say? Let's have a look at a few verses that, that the word says. Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Folks, first of all, if we want a relationship with him, if we want to know that we've got a home in heaven, if we want freedom from this world, there's one thing that's got to happen first. The word of God says, repent, come to him and receive the new life that has been bought for us through Jesus Christ. What else does the word of God say? Mark 12.30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Are we doing there what he says? What the word says? <coughs> what does the word say? John 5 verse 3, In fact, this is love for God, that you keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. We keep those commands, those commands that he asked to take with us as we walk day by day. As he said to those people, take them with you, talk about them, live them out, have them in your heart. Wasn't it a joy to see Lily up here last Sunday and for her to recite Psalm 23? How many verses do you remember from when you learnt when you were little? You know, they're the ones we start, that stay with us often, don't they? The ones we learnt when we were little. Uh, you know, when we're older, we've got to work much harder at, at retaining them in these heads of ours and much harder in mine, I can tell you. His commands are not burdensome. You know, James goes on then in 22, 23, 25. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. How often do you look? At, do we look in a mirror? How often do we? Bob, you haven't looked at one for a while, have you? No, no. <coughs> How often do we look in a mirror? Usually, when a person first gets up in the morning, they, you know, my habit is I go into the uh, into the uh, the bathroom and I there's the mirror. Ooh, turn the light off, wash my face, you know, do the various things. You know, what do we see when we see in a mirror? We see a reflection of ourselves, don't we? When you leave from there, what do you remember about the reflection that you see of yourself? <laughs> I don't think I need to know some of these things. <laughs> you know, what do we do, do, do? We do we go away thinking, you know, wow, <laughs> oh, that's really good. <laughs> oh boy, they're going to love me today. <laughs> or do we think, hmm, time for some surgery? <laughs> Oh, is that what everyone sees? You know, what do you see when you walk away from a mirror? Or what do you see when you look at a mirror? 
And what do we do about it? First century mirrors were polished metal. And uh, the more the wealthier people had usually silver or gold, and the and the uh, less wealthy had probably a uh, bronze or something like that. And when you looked at it, you know, I think uh, the modern mirror came at around in in the 1400s or the 14th century. I think that's correct. Now our modern mirror, we can look and we can see very quickly ourselves, can't we? But the polished metal, whilst it was good, you needed to take a little more time to be able to see and you'd look, you know, especially one of the cheaper ones and you'd have to look a lot harder. You'd have to look intently to see the reflection clearly. And why do we look at a mirror? Why do we look at a mirror? Do we look at a mirror to see whether we are acceptable to the people that we're going to be around. I think that would be a a, a reasonable thing, wouldn't it? To see that we're acceptable and we have put some effort into making ourselves acceptable. And I think this is a great illustration here. You know, uh, uh, 27 years ago, I looked in the mirror over a number of days and I, I saw a little freckle on the tip of my nose. Now, you, you're probably thinking, well, it'd be very obvious, Garth, if it was on the tip of your nose. Anyway, but there was a little freckle. And, and I noticed that it got darker. And over a period of time, it not only got darker, it changed shape. And in investigating it, so responding to that, I noticed that it became very rough. So, Melinda encouraged me to go to the doctor because men don't go to the doctor on their, just by, just, you know, you just don't, do you, Lee? You just don't. But when your wife says you should go to the doctor, we all know what we do. We go. <laughs> and, and he then looked at it and said, yes, Garth, it's, it's a basal cell carcinoma and he made a time and I went back and he cut it out. You see, we look in the mirror and we see. He encourages us to look intently and to go away being satisfied that we have done something about what we see. So we get up in the morning, we wash our face, we put the glasses on to look intently We do the hair and we make sure that we are presentable to the people that we're going to be seeing that day. Or we go there, we look and think, good enough and we run out the door, can't remember what I look like, doesn't matter. You see there's two ways of looking at the scriptures. Do we allow God to show us ourselves in in the word of God? And then when he points things out, do we do something about it? And sometimes it takes someone else to encourage us and say, Garth, you really need to do something about that. Looking closely, intently, this is how we must view the word of God and remember the Bereans that Paul said when he spoke to them, they went to the word of God to make sure that what he was saying was true and correct 
and they believed it. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You know, the average person will speak approximately 18,000 words per day, some of us a lot more. It's about equal to a 54-page book, 66, 800-page volumes in a year. Up to one-fifth of the average person's life is spent talking. I can imagine not much is going to be said during morning tea today. <laughs> but so therefore... If the tongue is not controlled by God, boy, can we get ourselves into trouble. And the other thing is, it is a sure indicator. Sorry, if the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator that the heart is not also. You brood of vipers, Jesus said, how can, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is fuller. So folks, if we find ourselves saying the wrong thing commonly, we need to have a look and see where that's coming from. If we find ourselves gossiping, if we find ourselves telling dirty jokes, if we find ourselves (coughs) using bad language, if we find ourselves backbiting, then we've got to ask ourselves, where is that coming from? Where is it coming from? And then we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us to change our heart and make us more like his son. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's true religion. It's a religion that outworks to those who are less fortunate than ourselves. <clears throat> Do we have a genuine concern for others? John thirteen thirty five. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If what? if we know lots of verses, if we're the Bible teacher or the pastor, if we've got degrees after our name, if we walk around with a big Bible, how will people know that we are his disciples? Because we'll have a completely different attitude, a complete heart change (coughs) to all those around us. Excuse me. Matthew 25, 35 and 36 says, When we act out of compassion towards others, we fulfil God's righteous requirements. <coughs> to look after. You know, when it talks about looking after the widows and the orphans, it's in a way that is pleasing to God the Father is to meet as best we can all the needs of the orphans and the widows and any others 
in distress. You know, we can be the best Bible teacher. We can be the best pastoral person. We can be a great prayer. We can be an enormous giver. We can do all sorts of things. But if our heart is not right, if we are bitterness and harbour bitterness, if we have an anger within us that just makes us respond in negative ways, but more than anything, if we don't love and respond to those around us who are in need. Jesus said, when you give a cup of water to one of these, to those who need it, when you visit those who are being persecuted, when you give a meal to someone who's hungry, are we just doing it to them? No, Jesus said, you're doing it to me because you're living out the gospel. You're living out the gospel. Faith folks, today I want to encourage you that in this book of James, go home and read this passage for yourself and allow God to just open your heart. In fact, ask him to. Don't just sit here each week and hear and then go out like a person who goes away from the mirror and forgets completely what they even look like. But take the word of God with you. Remind yourself this week these passages and allow God to open you up to see what he wants you to see from the scriptures. The Bible says some wonderful things but they are completely useless unless we allow them to affect us. First of all, folks, in the things that the Bible says, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Have you allowed his blood to cleanse you? Because all of this other stuff about living right with him only begins after the Holy Spirit comes within us when we accept what Jesus has done on the cross. His blood shed for us. His blood. Remember this morning what things that Tony said. His blood shed for us that washes and cleanses us and brings us into relationship with him. And then the rest of scripture which assists us to live right with him day by day. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book of James, how practical it is. It doesn't at all cut across anything that Paul says. We are and can only ever be justified by faith. Jesus died on that cross to bring us into right relationship with you. But James says that if that happened, if that is the truth in our life, if we say we're Christians, then allow the word of God to wash through us, to purify us and to make us 
worthwhile in this world to those around us. To listen carefully and then to live out the word of God. I pray that you would help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.